Again, and have not grown from this worship. So, great pretender, pull a face, let's see the best fall on you know. Just don't sing barricades in the morning and spend three days in a row. And it never comes off like you planned it. Something once was delivered, then you banned it. But oh, there is a key to this thing. Notorious lightning.
This is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm sitting here talking to Dan Nadell, the uh, author, editor of Art and Time. Um, I don't want to say follow-up to Art Out of Time because it feels like a separate entity altogether in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a companion than a, a follow-up. I um, Following it up would have been like... <laughs> almost admitting that the first one wasn't real or something. <laughs> like, here's, here's more stuff I found. Um, another 30 people you've never heard another, of. The 30 people that got cut. No, I mean, this, this one, I, uh, I was uh, asked to do another one, and um, it was a difficult thing to think about, because it, these are books about kind of things you may not have heard of. So I had to uh, focus it um, and the way uh, I wanted to focus it was basically based around, well, okay, I've, I've done this thing where I've dredged up these people that have been forgotten and really are, are missing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should um, look at people who are known, but, you know, given how prolific so many cartoonists were and are, um, there's all kinds of stuff that well-known people have done, or people known for popular characters have done that, that really gets kind of swept under the rug. So that was one attack, um, and that got a little fuzzy because um, all these reprint books were coming out, and, it was, and suddenly I realized, well, hmm, <laughs> 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 I've been thwarted. Uh, so then I, but then I kind of realized what was appealing to me about a lot of these cartoonists, like Kirby and Ditko, Bill Everett, um, and that was, you know, I, I kind of I spent a lot of time doing books and articles on like gag cartoons and, I'd, and some of the more conceptual kind of humor stuff, like like Mark Newgarden's book. Um, and I realized at a certain point that I, I really wanted to kind of delve into something else, like another part of, of the medium. Um, certainly, art out of time has a lot of stuff that now I might not get as excited about almost um, mm-hmm. but you know that's the thing about that's the nice thing about doing all this for a while is that you your interests wax and wane it's like you can be super duper into Ernie Bushmiller for a couple of years you know read a ton and then you know let it go for a little <laughs> let it go for a bunch of years and come back to it I mean the stuff uh, wears very very well mm-hmm. um, and you can't be I, I found at least that like I find it a little easier these days to focus on like specific areas of the medium mm-hmm. rather than divide my attention between like 20 different authors doing 20 different things it's so all of this is leading up to me saying you know also I just got very interested in adventure comics kind of defined um, uh, via kind of being fascinated with Kirby and Ditko and Everett and um, and being really excited about Pete Morisi, for example, um, and Wally Wood. It's just very intrigued by these guys. Uh, so that that was kind of the, the genesis of of, um, of the new one. It seems like it's genre work, but off the beaten path within those genres, in a way. Yeah, well... Yeah, although, yes and no. Um, and I'm trying to be careful, but by genre, I don't mean it's... I mean something bigger than genre, but I'm using genre as the term, maybe. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yes, I, I like to think of it as being people that used... that were as trapped by the formulas as everybody else, mm-hmm. 
trappings of, of each genre. So like Pete Morisi to me is you know, the way he frames things and 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 paces stories really makes it you know ten notch ten notches above a your typical you know crime comic from that time. Mm-hmm. Even if the script and the basic plot is more or less you know the same as anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's just that he had a little something more, um, and and a little more personal. You're also kind of creating linkages to I see, just at least in your uh, little biographies within the works, yeah. um, trying to kind of establish where these creators fit into a larger comic yeah. context, and because I felt like Art of Time was kind of more of these. Unique creators creating unique work, yeah. That established in some ways, but here's work creators within, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's a hundred percent right. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess that's been a little more interesting to me of late. Uh, I've been, and it kind of continues to be. I just don't quite know what to do with the interest right now. It's like. Yeah, I guess I'm a little more obsessed with reading like alter ego right now <laughs> than I am with I have than I am with I don't know what. Uh, but yes, you know the the Kirby exhibition was 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 part of that. I'm fascinated with the idea of what people created under very particular commercial constraints, and I think um, and I, <coughs> excuse me. I think that what's been what's interesting about a lot of it has been overlooked in some ways. Like you go back and find these comics, and they're way better and way more interesting than than they seem. Particularly between hardcovers or something. There's something about uh, something about finding these things in, in their original context mm-hmm. and understanding kind of amazing feats of storytelling um, or the fundamental weirdness of it all within this, this highly commercial context. It's, it's really um, something I just want to spend more time writing about. Tell me about the hunt and finding <laughs> some of these works. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, I mean, the hunt is fun. The hunt, um, I, I, I've backed off of the hunt a lot lately, um, particularly, well, mostly since I finished art art in time um, mm-hmm. but there's an undeniable fun um, in doing these kind of books whether it's art in time or Rory Hayes or whatever um, you know the, a lot of it is there is this fun of having an excuse to go look for back issues um, and the hunt is is you find very unexpected things you know, mm-hmm. it's like all of a sudden you're you're, and and it's a funny a funny thing these days. Uh, I don't go like I'm in New York. There aren't really many. There's like one great back issue store, and then there's a great warehouse in Brooklyn that has stuff. But um, I mean, now these days the hunt is uh, very much. I guess that's not that different than it ever was. A lot of the hunt for me is talking to an artist or reading an interview um, or reading an interview with a contemporary artist or with, you know, whoever, Jack Katz and Alter Ego or something, 
picking up an allusion to some old series or artist and just kind of going looking for it, um, usually online. And sometimes, um, you know, if I'm at San Diego Comic-Con or... For, there was a period in, like, 2005, six when Frank and I, Frank Centaur and I would go to these comic conventions um, up near Penn Station in Midtown that were really good for back issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's fun, the randomness of that. But usually, I have to say, it's a pretty directed hunt. It's, and it's, 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 it's picking up on names and, and ideas and, and chasing them down. And it, then that usually leads to something else. It's especially difficult when you're getting, like, the Dell and the Gold Keys where the covers don't represent the interiors in any Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely done the thing where I spend hours opening up bagged copies of that stuff and looking inside, but uh, it, these days it's really it's more about some specific thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like right now I want to get Blackhawk 242 and 243 to see the Pat Boyette art <laughs> and I'm just kind of waiting you know, to see if I can get them just for like $2 or something. You know, that that's the hunt these yeah. days. If they're, and, I, and because I don't have a specific project in mind, I'm, I don't I don't really have the excuse, so and God knows I have plenty of other stuff, you know, <laughs> and probably piled up, literally piled up around me that I need to read. So we all have the piles. I've got the piles. I've got like right now, like this Burn Hogarth Tarzan of the Apes graphic novel I've had for like twenty years. I've never read it. I've got uh, stars, stars, my yeah, stars, my destination, that Howard Chaykin thing. They're really taken. Like, the new Newsboy Legion hardcover. Uh, the Saka Bashira book from Drawn and Quarterly. You know, like it's just <laughs> that one. That's the Boxman, right? Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it's good. It's but I haven't I haven't gotten through enough of it yet. So I, it's just like, and then there's like you know a year and a half ago I bought Scorchy Smith and the Art of Noel Sickles and I still haven't read it. So. I, yeah, I got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I think I'm about to carve out an area, like I'm going to learn a lot about Noel Sickles because that's going to help me understand Mel Kniff, which will help me understand like 1940s comic book drawing. Mm-hmm. Well, I it's at a certain point. Well, I know enough about Noel Sickles. <laughs> it's 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 interesting, um, especially with with Kniff, where you you really like. There must be a handful of guys that are directly working from his influence in art and time where you've kind of seen where that goes off into different directions wait say that again what do you mean in art and time um, just bring it back to the book uh, there's a lot of creators or a handful of creators that are all influenced by Milton Kniff's work yeah um, you know in their formative days and interesting to see how they take that in different directions yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, Kniff, also just because Kniff, of course, you know, comes out of Crane. So you know that they've seen Kniff. Some of them are fans enough to have seen Crane. And then some of them may not have, may not have even seen Kniff. It's a very funny lineage. I mean, certainly, like, I think it's fascinating that Jesse Marsh claimed to have only looked at Kniff when he was sort of choosing his comic book style. <laughs> um, and I kind of believe it. I mean, he was a Disney animator clearly had chops on his own, but just was looking for a way to to tell stories in an efficient manner. 
Um, and, and certainly, you know, Kniff is a good way to do that. It's, you know, it's, it's light and dark. So that's, that's what it is. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's, um, you know, you put Kniff and Foster and Crane and Raymond together, and you've pretty much got, you know, you can, you can generate all your different variations of, of kind of mainstream, mainstream comic book style. Traditions. Narrative yeah. traditions. Narrative something traditions. Frank and I yak about a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or I guess for him it's the tree. The tree. The, the tree. tree. The famous tree. Yeah. The famous yeah. tree. The the flip side to the um, the the Kniff inspired stuff is I I was really fascinated where you pulled in the more contemporary underground folks. Yeah. Um, like Sharon Rudolph. Yeah. Um, Tell me about the balance of that of of introducing this. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, it was really important to. First of all, I I I, I loved that Art Out of Time kind of ended with Rory Hayes, and I wanted to do that again. Um, I wanted to try to mix it up again, and even in the underground, there were people that were kind of too strange for that world mm-hmm. um, that didn't quite fit in with the various rules of the underground. Um, so that was kind of one angle in. Then the other angle in was I, I was really interested that while a lot of underground guys like Greg Irons or Corbin or whoever really kind of pursued, were great, but pursued very kind of straightforward EC style um, horror or sci-fi comics, um, some people didn't. Some people were as innovative in their way with adventure or sci-fi as as the mainstream guys, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so, to me, it's all kind of a continuum. It's like Michael McMillan was influenced by the Harry Who, but also very much in love with 1940s-style comic book drawing. Um, somebody like John Thompson was kind of inspired by his underground peers and made what I think is really like this interior adventure comic. I, I just wanted to explore... Sharon Rudolph, you know, made a classic kind of sci-fi opera, um, political opera. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wanted to show that, to me, it is... I mean, Frank's tree uh, metaphor is a good one. It, it, I don't... See, I, I think that the kind of divide between underground and mainstream has been exaggerated. I mean, there's certainly a commercial divide, of course, um, but and, and a divide in some cases in, in intention, but yeah. you know, is it so different? Is reading like a Steve Ditko Charlton story, or is reading Kona so different from reading, um, you know, name your underground comic? It's not that different. Well, it's it's a challenge you're kind of fighting in some ways with folks like Spiegelman who who very much see themselves as part of this Kurtzman tradition um, you know and I go no you guys have been talking we don't need to go in the Spiegelman Kirby thing but where I'm going to go is guys like Kim Deitch who is the opposite who is very much from the Dick Co. loves Bill Everett work and I think there's it's really, it is really important to acknowledge these linkages and kind of see where these yeah. guys are all fitting because it is all comics in a way it is, and there was a time that it's definitely been sort of that one of the things that intrigued me in researching the book was, you know, talking to Kim Deitch about mainstream comics and that he knew Wally Wood and John Thompson knew Wally Wood. And, 
and that there was, and Gil Kane mm-hmm. sort of mentored Roger Brand, who was another under, underground guy. Um, there was definitely a, a vibe at the time because some of these underground guys were fans as well of, of an in, interesting kind of intermixture, um, a back and forth, you know, that seems to have disappeared a bit, um, disappeared from history as well. It's, it seems to have, like, it's a little easier just to say that there was some firm divide, but there wasn't. I mean, and and, it, and uh, uh, what, what's interesting now is the divide is kind of you're seeing cracks in it disappearing with like, I mean Brian Chippendale doing a blog about Marvel comics. Right. Um, last time I talked to Seth, we had a big long talk about Kirby. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's there's these little parts that are coming up. People are acknowledging this. I mean, there's guys like Paul Pope and Brandon Graham. Yeah. That are bringing in all these different sources and are regurgitating in a way, um, in a nice way. I yeah, I mean, I think it's a more open way. Well, I think I, something I was just talking to somebody about. It's, I think that the time there was definitely a time when when people really needed to push back against the mainstream just to differentiate themselves. And mm-hmm. I think the certainly the underground and and even raw and weirdo in the eighties, where you really um, felt people artists, I think, really felt like that's not us, you know. But with a certain amount of of mainstream success and kind of uh, cultural acceptance, I think people felt a little more open to embracing these things that previously they didn't really want to be identified with, and with with good reason. I mean, in some cases, it's like, you know, do you really want to say that you also, you're doing the same thing that, like, the Final Crisis guy is doing? Like, (laughs) not really. It's kind of a drag. But you are, and... um, well, even that's an odd, odd one to pull out because I mean, Grant Morrison's the writer. Okay, not final crisis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The rise of what? Is, what was it? I was reading about the, the, the rise the, of Arsenal. Oh yeah, yeah, the the arm getting chopped off. Yeah, like, huh? Um, and, and but uh, but I think that that you know guys like Brandon Graham are really interesting. That that, that they're sort of revisiting some of what was going on in the eighties, where there was this this interesting kind of funky approach to otherwise what people would call genre material and and, and a little more mainstreamed than say CF or Chippendale mm-hmm. um, you know more more on the um, traditional you know, storytelling yeah 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 which is great one thing you seem to be trying to avoid is uh, with the art and time book is the specific kind of catch of the 50s era comics which you know the eight page twist ending yeah yeah there's a couple I mean the John Stanley's are the, the John Stanley's fall under that a little bit um hmm yeah I mean I guess I was trying to avoid that although it doesn't bother me that much those twist endings um I mean so much of that was about EC and Atlas mm-hmm. and you know that stuff's been so exhaustively reprinted you know, there are a couple Atlas stories in there because that was the only way I was going to get Matt Fox in, um, or Everett for that matter, you know, the, the really good stuff. So, you know, that was mostly a function of feeling like that stuff had been done pretty damn well, um, pretty extensively, yeah. It, it's nice, the uh, the count to that is being able to put in full stories, like a full Kona. Yeah. <laughs> 
that was fun. I mean, it, that was a sacrifice. It was like doing the full Kona and the full Crystal Knight. And also the Jesse Marsh story. And the full Jesse Marsh. That was, uh, you know, that's why the book only has, you know, a handful of artists. It's, um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's double-edged sword. It's like, it's, I love the idea that you can really get into these artists' worlds. Um, and I, and I felt like, you know, first of all, Jesse Marsh, you can't really find short stories, so there's that. And same thing with, with Kona. They're all issue lines, but, um, or most of them are. But I also just, I, w- I wanted, you know, Art Out of Time is, is, is a real kind of grab bag, and I wanted this to be a more um, consistent kind of uh, immersive experience. And I also wanted people to feel like, um, you know, they've read this, this Kona comic and they're getting the full experience and, and not to feel uh, cheated or something by only getting a little snippet. And that's a challenge I find with a lot of uh, special reprint anthologies where you'll find, like, eight pages of someone's story and it doesn't really capture... It does, yeah, because they're not meant... They're not intended that way. It's like you gotta... It's kind of nice to see it followed through all the way, you know? Indeed. Um, that's what's so great about, like, you know, the, you know this, uh, this, the Panographic Steve Ditko book. Uh, the anthology. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, just, it's really great these days seeing these really bricks of work by artists that you can you can absolutely kind of swim in it. Um, and when they're done right, it's it's really really great. I'm curious about um, one thing a lot of reprint books have been doing is um, the faux paper. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the printed Oh, you thing. mean like the production? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you're very specific in how the work was represented straight from the comics, except yeah. for the uh, the underground folks, which are printed like how you'd read underground comics. Well, the underground stuff is, yeah, that was printed that way because we shot from the originals. Okay. That's why. But yeah, yeah, totally. Um, how do you feel about how the work is presented I like it a lot. I, you know, I, I'm of two minds. I think um, either you um, do what what Fantagraphics has has done recently with their Ditko book, um, which is essentially kind of uh, show the panels as comic book panels, mm-hmm. um, and kind of choose a paper tone that goes underneath it, uh, or you, and and then you're just reading these comics as comics as panels on a page. Um, and a similar thing is, is, you know, D&Q does a similar thing with the John Stanley Library. I love both of those because, look, you're getting the original coloring. Um, it's presented essentially as it was, uh, aesthetically as it was originally printed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that a lot. I, I, I don't see the point in... Sometimes people do funny things where they'll, like, take one vintage paper tone and use it throughout so you see the same... Dots, like little crease yeah. or imperfection throughout, and that—that's weird. Um, I, what I don't like, and, and then you know the other way is is just showing is shooting from the black and white stats or something and dropping a new color. Although I, I still think the best way to go is just scanning the original comic books. Mm-hmm. I just think it's the it's the most direct experience of the thing itself, um, and trying to guess at artists' intentions. 
um, or saying, well, if only they'd had this, then it would look like that. That's kind of bogus. You um, can't. You, you, you yeah. can't read. I also happen to love, I mean, though it's pretty much impossible to do, I, I, look, I, I love reading. Um, one of the great things about doing that Kirby show is just getting to spend that much time with uh, black and white. Not black and white, but just line art, essentially. Yeah. Um, that was that was wonderful. But certainly, all this stuff was drawn for color, uh, and drawn for a specific kind of printing process. Sometimes the artist seemed ignorant of it or not really paying attention to it. But it's why it I is what it is, and I, I and at least for the time being, and, and I like seeing things printed as as essentially like like comics. That's why I really have a hard time with the pure imagination stuff. Yeah, I have a uh, hard time with that. I have a very hard time with how Marvel and DC does all their stuff. Um, I'm, I've been happy with the Kirby stuff. Oh, the say. Kirby stuff is, has been nice. Yeah. Kirby stuff has been nice, actually. I, but I, the, yeah. the archives editions, they're pointless. Yeah, the archives are, are, are pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and the Marvel Masterworks can be spotty. Yeah. Uh, but the Kirby stuff is nice. Yeah, absolutely. That's right.
Why don't we talk a bit about Kirby, the okay. massive show you and Paul Gravett just did. Yeah. Um, inspiring, I guess. Putting it together. Yeah, very inspiring. Um, Challenging. Oh yeah, it was. It was. <coughs> um, let's see how to how to start. Um, Kirby's show was really inspiring because it's one thing to kind of read a book or something, and or, or have multiple volumes of reprints of his work, and you kind of can guess at the breadth of it. Um, it's a whole other thing when you're in a building. Uh, three, you know, three, three floors of 160 pages, and you can actually kind of walk through the breadth of the work and really see how the inking changes and the sizes change and all that kind of stuff, and and just the aging of the paper and everything. I mean, you, it, 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 he had never made more sense to me um, as a kind of great 20th century figure, because mm-hmm. he just spans. You know, he spans the history of the 20th century beautifully. Um, and it was inspiring. It, it, and just getting into his life story and trying to understand what fascinated me so much about the work um, was, was a hell of a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it was, and Fometto was, was great. It was also just really inspiring to have that kind of support system behind the show. Now, you've got your own kind of specific viewpoints on comics being represented in galleries, am I correct? Yeah. Um, what was the decision with doing the Kirby show? It was just a unique opportunity, um, kind of how you want to re- represent a creator? Or? Um, I mean, you know, I, I like how Fumetto does everything. I think they're extremely respectful. They're, it's about the artist. It's about um, being scholarly and uh, respectful. So that was one thing. Is it actually the only comics organization I've worked with um, that I trusted mm-hmm. because they're serious about it and they're not. They're serious about the art, and and that's as you know very very unusual outside of like our friends at TCAF or you know I don't know what else. <laughs> um, Brooklyn you know, Fest. What's that? <laughs> Brooklyn Fest. <laughs> oh right, the Brooklyn Fest, but, but that's different. I yeah, mean, I know. It's, it's a totally different scale. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, we don't. We we're just a company man over at the Brooklyn Fest, um, corporate <laughs> drones. Um, so that was one thing, and it was important to me. Look, I I'm all for uh, shows of comic art. I think it can be amazing. I think, but I think it's all about who the artist is and how the work holds the wall. Mm-hmm. Kirby happens to be one of the rare artists whose work just it, it, it works as drawing. Um, even if it's a very particular and strange kind of drawing in the sense that there's always somebody else in the mix. Um, you mean the, like, the inkers? The inker. Like Royer, <laughs> Royer and... Uh... Royer and Sinan and whoever. Um, but look, you, you, put the, you put four of those things on a wall and it's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And they're enormous. That's the thing that people kind of forget is how huge these things are. Um, so, And it's also one of the only ways you can get a feel for the span of his career. 
is by is by experience walking through it. I mean, you can have a stack of books, but it's very different to see it on this scale because when you're looking at a a room full of Fantastic Four originals and they're you know the size of your torso basically, and the detail is so immersive, you just get a feel for how you know what people must have felt when they first saw the comic books, for example. You know, because I, I, I started to see this stuff completely anew. It was like I'd never seen an issue of Commandy before because all of a sudden I was seeing all the original art for one issue. And you just, you're drawn in in a way that's that's fresh. Um, I wish I could be more articulate. It's like, uh, you know, so much of Kirby's language has been assimilated and so much of the way we look at somebody like Kirby is between hardcovers, mm-hmm. no matter how nice or how shitty it is. Um, it is it is in some sense entombed or something and so we're not experiencing it fresh and even 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 if you've never read it and you approach it his language has been completely assimilated into into pop culture so it's just seeing these objects is a whole different experience of kirby and i'm not saying that you know it's right for every artist but for him because of the scale he worked at um, I mean, in terms like thematically and and in terms of actual drawing size, uh, you get a sense for what he was going for, almost better than you do in reproduction because it's epic. Well, and, the, you know, one thing Kirby was about was epic. <laughs> Everything was big. Everything was big, man. Yeah. Well, the thing about Kirby is no one else represents. North American comics. No one is central in North American comics in what they are than he is, and I'll, I'll argue that you know ad nauseum. Um, and so, being, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So being able to kind of see this larger context of who he is must be fascinating. I guess. I don't know if I even had a question there. Maybe it's just a statement. Um, I'm I'm kind of interested. In the fact I know you guys can't do. Uh, a show catalog and there's part of me that thinks that that's kind of good because I don't know if that would really represent the experience properly yeah I mean you know my my fantasy show catalog would have been to print um, all of the pieces or almost all of the pieces at full size (laughs) (laughs) not kidding Uh, so like bigger than the Kramer's Ergot 7 yeah or or like the Kramer's size or something just big and that's not possible, and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, God knows there's there's so much Kirby in print, and if you want to look at full-color repros of originals, you can see them in, you know, Evan Year's book. You can see them in the Kirby Collector. There's no shortage of Kirby in print. Uh, <laughs> so it's okay, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a show, and at some point, if, I'm, if we're able to... If it goes somewhere else, then there's another opportunity to do something that would also, you know, be scholarly and that kind of thing. Is it something you'd like to be able to show again in a North American context? You know, or do that you think show was very much born out of what we could get to Europe? Yeah, I mean, we got fantastic collectors and amazing work, um, but a, a ton of people wouldn't lend work because it was out of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, would I like to do a Kirby show here? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It would be a totally different configuration. Um, 
with Monsto. I think that it works. I think that the I think that it can work as a show, which I, I wasn't positive of, you know, in the process. But but I'm actually actually feel good about it as something that could hold its own in an in an institution. This is something you've been doing a lot of lately. It seems doing a lot of curating. You did the I the guess I have kind of almost accidentally. Yeah, I mean I I end up with various opportunities. Um, Do you see it as a level of trust that people have put in you? <laughs> um, I guess, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I think it has to do with that I am fairly involved, I guess, in the museum and gallery world here. Um, so I have a kind of unique perspective. Um, and I suppose there's a level of trust in the sense that I, I'm pretty careful about what I write about and then study. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm... I'm honored. It's it's fun. I I really, you know, I I enjoy it a lot. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it a lot. Well, the Mazzucchelli show must have been something to. That was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I I love I love doing the Mazzucchelli show. Yeah, I mean, um, any time you get to spend a sustained period of time interviewing an artist and going through their archives, um, is a treat because rather than doing rather than just writing an article where you kind of you do an interview spend a little bit of time and, and walk out you know when you're spending like five or six months with somebody and you're going through their work with an eye towards showing a chunk of it as opposed to excerpting it or you know or, or publishing it in some other form um, it's a very personal one to one dialogue that, that, that's it's very enjoyable, you know. It's great not having to worry about, well, this would be great, but we're going to have to scan it <laughs> and reduce it, and I don't know if the publisher's going to go for it, or I don't know if I can publish it, or, you know, whatever it yeah. is. It, it, there's a real freedom to just, let's, let's take this pile, of, you know, let's go through these flat files, pull out the most stunning examples, then we're going to narrow it down to see what is sort of telling the story we want to tell about your work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a very it's a great um, learning experience, and it's a great way to learn about how somebody thinks about their their career and their their output. So, so yeah, I love it. I love it as a process. Actually, I really do. I wish I could have gone to that man show last year. Sigh, yeah. sigh. Yeah. We get fun. nothing here in Vancouver. <laughs> well. You never know. Yeah. Well, we had that crazy show that was that right, was interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. A room of nothing but Justin Green. That's good. There was a uh, one room that was all the Binky. All the Binky originals. Yeah. Just yeah. you stand in this That's room. That's a good room. It's it's yeah. That's what I call a good room. It's kind of a good room mixed with like some kind of bukkake type metaphor. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kids, listener discretion. Um, Picturebox, your publishing yes. arm, yes, the, yes. the publishing corner of your brain. Um, yeah. A couple of years ago, you said you were going to kind of reduce the amount of comics you're publishing and kind of working yeah. on more other books. And I was kind of like, well, what's he going to be doing? Like, And so I've seen it now, and it's quite interesting. The, um, I guess the pop, I don't want to say pop culture, but it is pop culture. Yeah, yeah. Pop yeah. culture without being kitschy, I guess. Right. Um, right. Without being 
establishing itself as a lowbrow thing. Right. No. Yeah. Definitely not the lowbrow thing. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I have major issues with when you kind of and I guess the overspray is that the major piece of work of the um, the vinyl art, the yeah. album cover. Art. Um, what was the choice to go in that direction to kind of steer? Well, you into know, like when Picture Box started, it was always meant to be um, a kind of firm split between comics, music, art, and design or illustration, design illustration. Um, and you know, certainly, I get uh, most of my press and stuff for the comics because the comics. Will, it's not like there's like a rabid music book world out there of people who are like discussing the latest book about whatever band mm-hmm. or record cover designer has <laughs> come out you know <laughs> comics is pretty awesome and unique that way um so picture box certainly um has sort of gotten a lot of press for that the comic stuff but, uh, so you know it was less a decision and more like um I have the cartoonists. I'm working with the cartoonists I want to work with um, and that I can afford to work with as well. I mean, there's only so much I can put out. Um, and they put out a lot, you know, between Chippendale and CF and Frank and <laughs> Yokoyama, you know, it's, and, yeah. and doing everything else that's involved in, in working with them. Um, ben Jones, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. And... The things like overspray or for the love of vinyl are, are, you know, a huge part of what I'm interested in. And as a writer, uh, it's a lot of what I have written about is, is design and illustration. So, overspray, for example, is was sort of the brainchild of a friend of mine named Norman Hathaway. He's a great designer, and we just got to talking about this stuff that he really knew intimately and that I just kind of glancingly liked a lot. Um, this world of 70s airbrush illustration that has been forgotten. And I think the images are phenomenal as just as artwork. Um, and, you know, it also tickles that other part of my brain, which is this sort of, like, forgotten stuff. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's always of interest to me, is stuff that's been kind of written out of history. Um, so, you know, that's... And, and nobody's really... You know, there's not that much of these kinds of books being published that also include really good writing and interviews. I mean, there's plenty of them being published as, like you said, Lowbrow or Kitsch or whatever. But I'm really interested in, in, in the research and in the world it comes from. So, Well, you're that, trying to, to document yeah. what this time was, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, and certainly that's what I did in the Gary Panner book. And, um, you know, that's a big part of what I am about. Uh, and what Picture Box is about. So, both as a publishing company and also just as a website that sells weird stuff and old stuff and whatever stuff. Um, and it's what it's kind of evolving to, into as well because we're revamping the website in the next like month or so. It's going to relaunch and it's going to be very content centric. Um, so good to hear. So yeah, I mean that's 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 uh, where Picture Box is, and it's it's going to be a good fall season. I mean, as usual, somehow inexplicably, it's like a bunch of things will be late, and then a bunch of things will get pushed up, and all of a sudden I'm releasing like way more books than I expected. But it's all good, and um, and it's being released into a stronger market certainly than a couple years ago. So it's good. 
that, and it's good to hear that you're saying it's a stronger market too. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a couple it's, things. It's like, first of all, it couldn't be any worse than, than 2009, and second of all, um, you know, guys like the interesting thing about the last few years is that guys like CF and Chippendale and you know they've really their books continue to pick up uh, readers. So it's like this really nice slow build where I feel like uh, there's more and more of an audience out there. And you know, it's that, that's going to be interesting to put out those those books and then um, Renee French graphic novel and uh, oh I remember I heard something about yeah that it's really cool really it. really great I'm excited definitely her her best work um, and uh, Michelle Gondry Julie Dusay book what and, oh, hold yeah. on hold on. Yeah, uh, Michelle. So, written by Gondry or it's it's a funny project. It's um they did a film together, an eighteen minute film, uh, animated from Julie's drawings, um, and then Julie herself is in it, live action, as well. It's very cool. That and sounds amazing. The, so the book is all the drawings as well as a bunch of Michelle's like supplementary drawings, and then the DVD. That's it. Wow, when one. Huh? That's a fun one. It's coming out. Uh, I think it'll be in stores in October. Wow, it's uh, you've kept that one in the bag. Or, uh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to uh, get the publicity machine going over the summer. Eh? Yeah, that's because yeah, uh, yeah. I mean you know, it's not often uh, Julie has new work. No, I know. So. I know. It's, it's a cool book. It um, really is. No, I'm I'm a fan. So that, yeah, that makes me, me happy. But yeah, no, no, no. So it's gonna be a fun fall. We're gonna be we're gonna be out on the road a bit. You guys gonna be doing a well, we'll do SPX convention? and and um, the, there's a Brooklyn book fair as well. Uh, not the comics festival, but the book fair, which is in September. And then there's a Brooklyn comics festival in December. December tenth, right, or eighth? Fourth. Fourth. Um, and uh, yeah, there, I mean, and I think I think we're gonna do eighth. I hope so. I hope to see you guys there. I'll be. Yeah. That's where we'll be launching the, the Inkstuds book. So. Oh, cool! Good. Yeah. And then yeah. maybe you'll come to the the Brooklyn Festival. I'm hoping to make it. I. It looks very likely. Um, Great. Yeah. There's a bunch of other stuff I want to do you around could the same do time. Do on the scene ra- breaking radio reports. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have my uh, fancy reporter hat and. Yeah, you'll yeah, yeah a little a badge and everything. Yeah. yeah, that's something I could never do. I could never do the uh, convention. Reporting thing. I don't think you need to. No, there there are folks that do a good job at it, you know, yeah. and I don't <laughs> ever want to do an interview at a convention. Yeah. I can't understand people that go up to ours. Can I interview right now? It's like it's awkward. They're here to make money. They're yeah. not here to just, and it's not going to be a good interview. That's that true. person's been drawing for five hours, and you know, I, I'm yeah. happy with the panels I did this year. You know, it's my first time really doing panels, and I think both of them are pretty fun. And yeah, they're totally fun. What kind of uh, stuff do you have? Do you have anything in mind for Brooklyn that you want to mention, or is it going to um, be nothing I can mention because we haven't uh, confirmed anything. Okay, I've got. I certainly have some things in mind, though. <laughs> I, I, I I've heard good things. You know, not to be you know blowing but smoke. Um, one friend said basically it's one of the few New York things you can really heartily recommend. Yeah, I mean it, it's it'll be fun, and, and we're hoping to pull in some good guests. Most it'll excellent. Be, be fun. And comics, comics. Um, by the time I air this, the 
funding drive will probably be over, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you guys have plans with Comics Comics, or is that kind of linked I mean, into with you know, Pitcher The plan is to <coughs> um, continue the website, which mm-hmm. has really been great, and uh, continue to, to, to really write as much as we all can and try to try to get more involved um, in terms of different features and things. And then eventually, yeah, like, like Tim mentioned um, on the site, like there's definitely an urge to do something in print again and we're going to meet this summer and try to hash out exactly what that would be and how that would be and all that kind of stuff. So so the plan is to keep going and just make it better and better. I've been, you know, it's really interesting, like since you guys have moved it it's really, I've seen a lot of good debates, good discussions, interesting discussions. I know one thing specific is you want to avoid being, um, for lack of a better term, the Comics Journal message board. Um, yeah. You know, and that's fascinating. It's just creating discussion, having discussion that's not based on the kind of conversation you'd have in a comic store. Yeah, most, most comic I mean, stores. yeah, absolutely. And that, that also is, is very much related to who we are. I mean, um, and, and what our broader interests are, and also our limited, I think in some ways, our limited time, mm-hmm. patience. Um, <laughs> patience. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that we're really trying to, God, what are we trying to do? When we started it, it was like, okay, we're going to make our statement about comics, and it's going to be like our our people, our statement. And now it's much more about trying to, I think, we're working with really interesting people and just having a forum for great writing about comics that we feel like is, is informed by the broader culture that's not jargon heavy, that's not petty or vindictive, that, um, and that's easy to enter, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it ought to be a site that you would just go to and read casually, even if you weren't necessarily a total comics nerd, although certainly my Matt Fox inking post on Sunday is not exactly you know, <laughs> casual fare, <laughs> but uh, what can I say? Well, it's also the, the, the thing is you don't want to uh, have a deluge of too much. No, no, you know, keep not. It, I mean, like, I know that's why I don't look at the Comics Journal right now, but website. It's just every time I look, I, there's just too much to look at. And it's, I can't navigate it. Um, it's, it's a mess. Yeah. Sorry, guys. It's for me. But you know, I loved Tim's Wilson post today. I thought it was, like, one of the best things I've read about that book. It was just brilliant, and um, that's the kind of writing that I think we do really well. Smart writing about good comics. I guess I guess that's what I'm saying, yeah. And I, sometimes I, bad comics. Sometimes bad comics. Yeah, totally. Well, I think we're uh, at our time end here, Dan. Okay. We once belonged to heaven We cast a shadow on this world You were a blessing And I was a curse I did my best not to make things worse For you 
that isn't true I always knew this would be our fate This is 